All right, church, welcome back to the Pillar Bible podcast and for this episode of Pillar Bible Talks, where we uh, just have discussions that serve our church members and equip them in the Christian life. And our guest for today, or my guest for today, is my good friend, Brother John Lee. John, thank you for joining us, brother. Happy to be here. John, I think I've known you since I was trying to think about it before I started this, like maybe 2017, 2018. I have no clue when we first met. Do you remember? Was it Shepherd's Conference? It was probably Shepherd's Conference where you were sharing food with us. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I was totally mooching off of you and your friend's food. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So we've known I've I've met you for, you know, a long time ago, but it it was only in the past, maybe a couple of years where you and I started getting closer and, and kind of talking a bit more. So. Um, John's a good brother, good friend, really encouraging to me over the past couple of years. Um, so thank you, man. Thanks for joining us for this conversation on singleness. And so I know that you are the world's leading expert on <laughs> singleness. So that's why I asked you, you know, <laughs> is that true? I, last time I checked, the eternal son of God is currently <laughs> single. And so I, I think he might have me match in, in the experience department. Amen. I think our sovereign Lord is the leading expert in singleness, which we'll probably talk about when you go through your biblical theology of singleness. Yeah, um, that's right. Brother John, uh, for those who don't know you, can you just give like a short, a snapshot of your, who you are, your background, your church role, and um, maybe some other things about you? Yeah, my name is John Lee. I'm the son of a Korean immigrant church pastor. Uh Grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, moved to Orange County when I was 11 years old. Um, had a lot of questions about the faith growing up. Got saved listening to Paul Washer and John Piper sermons online. Uh, went to Cal Baptist for my undergrad to study the Bible and then went to Southern Seminary in Kentucky. And uh, now I'm a pastor at Bethany Baptist Church, uh, soon to be Bellflower Baptist Church if we pass our vote in December. Already? You guys were already bellflower baptist church and or you were no first we southern church first of southern bellflower. baptist church bellflower. we renamed to bethany baptist church which is the name when it planted that's right and now we're going to rename ourselves to bellflower baptist church because there is another bethany church in bellflower uh okay so for the sake of clarity it would just be easier to go with bellflower baptist and you guys didn't know that i'm assuming when you changed to bethany or changed back to bethany we did know it I don't know if it'd be super interesting for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Well, we'll pray for that name change. Um, yeah. uh, what do you do for fun, brother? What do you like to do for fun? What interests you? Uh, I really enjoy watching movies, uh, bowling, reading good books. That's right. Uh, Calvin Hobbes. Okay. Good yeah. classic. You've been really into bowling the past, what, year or two, right? Lately? I went super hard. Oh, yeah. 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 Full gear, own ball, right? Mm-hmm. You've been mm-hmm. actually taking church members too, right? And it's been helpful yep. in terms yep. of fellowship and getting to know them. And uh, amazing evangelism opportunity. People in the bowling alley, once they know that you're actually like into it, yeah, uh, be extremely friendly. And so I've had tons of gospel conversations that were initiated by non-Christians once they found out I was a pastor. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah. Well, there's something about the bowling atmosphere where people let their guard down a little bit more relaxed, right? So a little bit easier to share the gospel. Hey, that's great. We'll have to go bowling evangelize with you one of these days. I'll, I'll whoop you, Micah. Uh, <laughs> well, you have your own gear. I'm, I'm not buy me great. my own gear. And then we uh, can. My we mouth is much bigger than my skill level. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. 
Well, let's get into it. So our topic for today is singleness. Mm-hmm. Um, Brother John, maybe we can start off by going to the Bible because that's always a good place to start, right? Mm-hmm. So the Bible is not silent about singleness. I think it says a lot about singleness. So in your own personal studies and what you see in terms of like the overall tone and posture of scripture towards singleness, um, what do you see and what do you think, what does, what does the Bible say about singleness in general? Yeah, I, I think there are two passages that I could point to briefly to kind of talk about the tone of the Bible with singleness. The first would be Matthew 19 uh, with our single Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, he's talking about how you shouldn't divorce people unless they're in cases like adultery. And the disciples, when they hear kind of the strict requirements for divorce in light of marriage, they respond uh, in verse 10. If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry, uh, which is very similar to kind of the tone of convenience that we might hear in culture today, uh, a, a fear of commitment, right? A uh, no, What's a the better life? Kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah, a selfish orientation. Um, but it's interesting what Jesus does in verse 11. He doesn't say, hey, lazy bum, get off your couch, go get a job and find yourself a spouse. What he says is in verse 11, not everyone can accept a saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs or, or people that are functionally single physically who are born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. So, so Jesus turns their phrase saying, it's better not to get married, and almost affirms it. He's like, actually, you're right. Even though mm. you're saying it out of selfish convenience, yeah. Jesus is actually pointing to a greater reality about singleness. You also see that similar tone. With Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 8, when he says, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, great, important passages, popular passages on the tone of singleness. So singleness is not a curse, according to the Bible, right? Yeah. Um, let's bring it to be a little bit more personal, brother. You're single and mm-hmm. unapologetically single. Right. right. As we've you and I have talked about this before. Um, Mm -hmm. So if I could ask you, how how would you going from the Bible to like your personal life, how would you characterize your overall experience as a single person? Because every person, every single person and every individual has had their own experiences as a single, some positive, some negative. Um, How would you characterize your experience? Yeah, I would describe myself as a content single man who does want to get married. So in terms of Paul's characterization of people who burn with desire, uh, getting married, I do think I fall under that category. That being said, uh, I'm not in a panic to, to get married either. I think uh, uh, when I got into undergrad, uh, I, I, I used to joke that I was like a, a man that was infected with marriage rabies. Like I was frothing at the mouth trying to find a spouse. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but what happened over time was, number one, going to a dying church and just realizing that uh, where I was spending my time, I likely wouldn't be able to find a spouse very easily, hmm. uh, as well as seeing some of the benefits of singleness in the season of life that I've been in, kind of been, being able to utilize the gift um, to help myself train for ministry, be able to encourage other men. Um, what happened was really flourishing in the local church helped me be able to see the benefits of singleness in the way that I could love and serve other people 
as well as continue to kind of grow and develop my own skill set. And, uh, and that really helped me kind of understand what some of the benefits of singleness are, like what they are, uh, in a way that a lot of the angst kind of died down. I feel like every year that goes by, it decreases, even though I'd say that my desire for marriage has probably grown in a more mature, healthy way. Hmm. What would you say that uh, contributed to that angst kind of like dying down a little bit more? Um, anything specific helped you with that? I mean, I think part of it is just getting older uh, biologically. I think another piece of it is maturing and and, and kind of being able to think through what marriage is more. One of the huge things that helped me in terms of my desire and, and kind of having a more mature view of it was actually uh, having a really well-integrated life with married couples at the church. Mm. So I, I at 19, would be walking into apartments where members would open the door and say, hey, John, we're in the middle of a fight. Why don't you come on in? And they would just fill me in on the conflict that they were having, mm -hmm. and then they would just start fighting in front of me. Not not yeah. physically, but <laughs> in, in their conversation. Good, good clarity, uh, yeah. You know, and and like also seeing chaos in the home with children, and children are an absolute blessing from the Lord. Yeah. Uh, but there are times where I babysit mm -hmm. some of my uh, families at the church and I go home appreciating mm -hmm. the gift of singleness a little bit more than I did yeah. before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're not saying like it's, I mean, it's not made you adv uh, so averse to to marriage that you're like, oh, I don't want to have that type of life. So you're not saying that, but it's like, hey, there are benefits to my place in life as a single. Um, so that's interesting. Your time with married people has made you appreciate your singleness a little bit more. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the world offers something like a view of Jerry Maguire, right? Just saying like, mm -hmm. you complete me to their spouse. And yeah. I think on one end, that's un unfair to your spouse. They can't meet those expectations. Yeah. Right? Um, but on the other side, for the singles, I think it actually presents a distorted view of relationships uh, and, and family life as though kind of the grass is greener on the other side. When in reality, you're joining with another sinner, mm -hmm. you're raising sinners, yeah, uh, and and that brings its own set of blessings and difficulties. Yeah, yeah. When you see that the grass is greener, being marriage, right, as being, um, if you've elevated it to the level of ultimate importance, um, and you get married and you realize it's not what you thought it would be, um, yeah, that's that's really uh, really hard to experience and and. Um, Kind of like a wake-up call for for some married people. So related to that, you mentioned kind of like how the world would look at it. There tends to be some misconceptions about singleness, popular ones, maybe um, just ones that have been thrown around in the church or uh, even not in the church. What are some that you've heard, common ones? I know I've heard mine, but hearing from a single guy, I I, I wanted to... When we talk about singleness, sometimes all we hear is married people talking about singleness and commenting about singleness. So good to hear from actual singles sometimes <laughs> to, to hear what, what what do we what do we what are some misconceptions about singleness that we need to clear up? Yeah, let, let me rattle off a few. Micah, you can just ping me if I'm going over. Time. Sure. The, the biggest one that I see is the idea of the gift of singleness kind of being the supernatural bestowing of like asexuality. So, uh, so if you have the gift of singleness and that means that, that Interesting you don't term, desire <laughs> any kind of sexual fulfillment, God's gifted you with the superpower of celibacy. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, you can you can put a little emblem C on your chest and yeah. live your life. Completely. Like you have that X gene, that X Men gene yeah. of of celibacy. It doesn't bother yeah. you at all. And I think the like clearest textual kind of proof against that is that when Paul says that it's good for singles to remain as he is, he says it to the unmarried, to people who have never been married before, but he also says it to widows. So people who have had the gift mm. of marriage before. Uh, so so singleness to Paul doesn't seem to be a permanent designation, right? Um, uh, for people that do get married, over half of them are going to be single again, right? Uh, the people that are single right now, they're not kind of in some spiritual limbo state uh, mm. between them kind of graduating from college and then starting a family, yeah. right? Uh, singleness is actually a period of time that Paul views as an advantageous period. Uh, where people can really utilize their gifts and flourish well. So, so that'd be number one. I, I would view singleness as a gift if you are single. So if you are single right now, you have the gift of singleness. That doesn't mean that there aren't difficulties with it. doesn't mean that there aren't struggles with contentment within it. But the status of singleness itself is a gift in the same way that you may be in a difficult marriage, right? You may have conflicts in your marriage. There may be times where your marriage discourages you. But we know that marriage is still a gift from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't distortions. That doesn't mean that there are abuses, right? Yeah. That need to get addressed. Right. But we can still say overall that marriage as a institution is a gift given by God. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two would be uh people viewing contentment as kind of like the trigger that then like magically lowers a a spouse from the ceiling. Uh that just isn't the way that Paul or Jesus seem to view singleness. They don't view singleness in relation to your eventual getting a spouse. Um, uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 7 carefully, it's actually singleness is the advantage and marriage is for you if you're too distracted by your sexual desires, right? Hmm. Um, so marriage is a concession. Singleness is kind of the desired state for Paul in terms of his own personal preference for these people, right? Um, and so... Uh, we want to make sure that our singles are content, not for the purpose of getting a spouse, but for the purpose of godliness, right? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, another thing is that people think that contentment in singleness means that you don't want a spouse anymore. Uh, mm. And I, I would just say, no, you could desire a spouse and be content in your singleness at the same time. Philippians 4, Paul talks about how he's learned the secret of being content whether hungry or well-fed, right? Whether sick or in health. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then right after he says, still you did well in sending help to me. Uh, and so I think Paul, when he's choosing between being in prison and being poor and hungry versus not being in prison, preferred not being in prison. Uh, he was still content in any state that God had him in. But in those circumstances, he's still laboring to be content in the Lord while still wishing for a different circumstance. So if you're a single and you're listening to this and and you long to find a spouse, um, I would want to differentiate that desire from a sinful discontentedness where you start to question God's goodness for where you are in life. Those two things for me are separate issues. Yeah, because I think sometimes people think that because they desire to get married, they're not being content, and they conflate the two, and they mix the two, thinking that, oh, because I have the desire, I'm not content in Christ, and so I'm sinning because I really want to get married. And you're saying, no, that's not the case. You can still desire to be married and still be fully content in Christ, 
Um, yeah. Man, there's so much I want to expand on this. You're, you're. I think you're right to say when some people think that contentment is that magic pill or magic um, formula that says once I'm content, then God will bestow this spouse upon me. And that's such a terrible way to look at contentment and holiness and loving Christ because that's still making marriage the ends as opposed to Christ the ends, right? Contentment is a means to the end of, of marriage, which is a wrong way of of looking at it. Um, so how would you, how yeah, would you differentiate? If I, if I okay. could have one more misconception, go ahead, go ahead. Like I'm happy to go into some differentiating stuff here. Sure. If I, if I could have one more, there is a tendency in a lot of churches to view marriage as kind of the next step in Christian maturity. Right. Ah. Uh, right. And, and yeah. I think that there's a lot of good there because what marriage does is it front loads a ton of tangible responsibility right away. Mm-hmm. In that way, it really does stretch you. Yeah. Right. Um, but I've been to weddings with people that I dearly love, and I'll hear a pastor say something like, um, "Husband, wife, right? Welcome to the uh, the fast track for sanctification." Right? Yeah. And and what I usually tell those people is, I actually agree that marriage is a fast track to sanctification. I just want to change the modifier from the to a uh, a right? to a. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fast track to sanctification. Yeah. God sanctifies people through all sorts of ways, right? Mm -hmm. Being single does not automatically equate immaturity. Um, yeah. If you start to equate singleness with immaturity, then you're knocking out Jesus. Yeah. And you're saying Jesus Paul. is not mature. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a problem. There's all yeah. sorts of ways that God sanctifies us in our life, right? Uh, whether it's through singleness or through marriage or through um, childlessness or through having children. Right. God uses all circumstances, right, for the good of those who love him. I think mm -hmm. that includes sanctification and maturity as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to expand on some of the so the first one that you mentioned, uh, can you review it for me? The first misconception was um yeah. singleness is a status, not a superpower. So yeah. if you think singleness is a superpower, that's wrong. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. So you're that's helpful because some people think that if they're not content or if they just have these strong desires that they're not spiritual eunuchs they're not called to be single right and you're saying no you can actually have the same type of desires and you know even struggles that married people have it's just god has not uh, ordained that you be married in this season right yeah um, that's right and then that second one uh, i wanted to ask you how can you when have you entered into the realm of like sinful discontentment um, versus you're in the good realm of like good desire? So when have you crossed that line? Because sometimes I, it's it's hard to differentiate when you're like um, mm. in that moment as a as a single person. Like, hey, I desire, but when have I elevated this desire for a spouse to the level of idolatry? Like, how do you know you're there? Yeah, uh, I think when you elevate a good thing to a God thing, that's when you start to commit idolatry, mm. right? So so it's fine to desire good things, right? It's fine to desire a better job so that you can provide for your children, right? That That's a good desire. Uh, but if that starts to take the place of God in your heart, where it's no longer about honoring the Lord through that, but, but getting the better job becomes the goal itself, the mm -hmm. ultimate goal then what happens is we start to get a tighter grip on kind of what we want and we start to oppose what God may want for us. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that's kind of where the line is. There are plenty of times in my life as a single 
where um, maybe genuine feelings of loneliness may creep in and mm. kind of uh, overwhelm me. I think it's fine to feel lonely as a single person. Like nobody should feel guilty about that experience, yeah. right? There are plenty of people that feel lonely in their marriages, yep. uh, which which takes on another level of kind of uh, sadness and difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um when that starts to morph into bitterness towards God, right, in a way that doesn't express itself through lament, like an acknowledgement and turning to the Lord in trust, but rather pushes us away from the Lord in bitterness, right, uh, in frustration, um, then I think that's when we start to cross the line into idolatry. That's good. That's helpful, brother. You mentioned contentment a little bit in um, a little bit earlier. Why do we... <sighs> when we talk about singleness, why is it that we're so fixated on contentment and we talk about this topic of contentment? Yeah. I, I think contentment is kind of a, a strange thing uh, in the singleness conversation, uh, mainly because you never hear the phrase content and singleness, like uh, in the Bible, <laughs> it just mm-hmm. doesn't come up as a biblical category, but for whatever reason uh, we can think that contentment becomes a trigger for marriage. Um, but also just broader yeah. ideas of contentment about singleness can have some harmful effects. One of the things that we could do incorrectly when we talk about contentment and singleness in particular um, is that we could start to minimize some of the legitimate difficulties of singleness, right? Uh, almost as though if someone does express kind of some and lament some of the difficulties of the season of life that God's placed them in, that they're somehow pushing against this idea of contentment. Yeah, we're accusing them of being discontent. Yeah, that's right. And and it's possible that they are, but it's also possible to talk about difficulties in singleness while still being content in it. Right? Yeah. Uh, the second thing that, that it does improperly is that ironically, um, for a lot of people, if you start to view the gift of singleness kind of as this asexuality, uh, they don't have a category for content single people that do want to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it kind of becomes a situation where um, if you were really godly and not so picky, you would be married already. And if you're not married, then it's either because you're too selective in a sinful way mm-hmm. or you're too immature where you can't pick up a spouse anyway. Wow. I think both of those are terrible places to kind of place a single person. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so we want to encourage all people to be content, mature, proactive in pursuing godliness in whatever season of life that they're in. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and if I could add one more thing to that. Sure. Um Paul, just before he says to the unmarried and the widows, it's good for them to remain as he is. He says that he says this in verse seven. He says, I wish that all people were as I am. So he's saying, I wish all people were single like me. But then he says, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this, another has that. That's the only time in scripture that you hear the word gift kind of associated with marital status. Mm-hmm. Right, but you never hear the phrase "gift of singleness" as though it's kind of like a special designation. Mm-hmm. What Paul is saying is, I wish everyone could be single, but hey, God gives to each their own gift, and that's all good. Yeah, right. So he's not distinguishing the gift of singleness from the gift of marriage at all. Um, okay. He's viewing all kind of marital relational statuses, right, as as a gift from God. Wherever God has you, don't be discontent in it. Right? Yeah. Be content in any season that you're in. I want my married couples to be content in their marriages, right? I don't want them to be dreaming about the day that they're single again, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I want my single uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to be content in their singleness and pursue godliness 
mm-hmm. uh, in their singleness, regardless of whether or not they want a spouse. Yeah. So contentment is not just for singles. Contentment is for any person in any marital state of life or place in life. And God says your marital place in life, single married is a gift and should be seen as a gift, treated as a gift, viewed as a gift, talked about as a gift. Mm-hmm. That's that's great, brother. That's helpful. That's right. You mentioned um, contentment and how it relates to sometimes even downplaying the struggles that singles have. So to take it back to you personally, what have you what have been your struggles as a single person? And even what has been the greatest blessings of, of being a single person too? Yeah, I think one of the struggles that I have as a single person is loneliness. Um, I, I think that, uh, depending on how involved I am in church life and depending on what season of life, my friends are, uh, singleness can look differently. Um, in seven myths about singleness, Sam Albury talks about how, uh, with the friendships that he develops with different men as a, as a single man now in his forties, uh, sometimes when he goes to a, a wedding, it feels like going to a, a funeral for their friendship. Because he knows that he won't be able to spend the same time with them that they used to. Wow. Right? Now, I don't think he's intending on putting his friends on some kind of guilt sure. trip or placing false like expectations sure. on them. Yeah. Um, but I remember reading that in my early 20s. And I was like, wow, I had no category for that. Yeah. Because there's and a then, true change in relationship when someone gets married. One of your friends gets yeah, married. A right priority of their mm-hmm. spouse, right? A divided yeah. attention to use Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 7, yeah. right? Um, and, uh, and, Oftentimes, single people are on the receiving end of that, right? Uh, they're the ones that have to bear kind of more of the loss of that friendship because they don't have a spouse to kind of fill in that that relational gap. So, mm. so that can be more difficult. Um, yeah, I I also think that uh, there there are burdens towards overwork where you don't have a spouse telling you to slow down, right? And and have boundaries or even church's expectations on mm-hmm. singles can be more weighted, I think rightly, in terms of the the abilities that they have to be able to serve yeah. the church. But it can also be unhealthy too in, sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. In that they might have some false expectations, right? Singles uh, got to serve and do everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what that's the false right. expectation is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. What about some great blessings that you have experienced in your stewardship of singleness? Oh man, I, I love being single. Um, the way that I would describe uh, the gift of singleness would be Paul's language in First Corinthians seven, mm. um, when he tells um, when he tells them that he. Let me find the verse here. Verse thirty two. He says, "I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man uh, is concerned about the things of the world." how he may please his wife and his interests are divided, right? So, mm-hmm. so really when we're talking about the gift of singleness, what we're talking about is, but is the ability to have an undivided attention or devotion. So I'll kind of give three F's in kind of three different angles of looking at it. One is like focus. a good pastor, man. Alliterating. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah. Like a good Southern Baptist, right? Uh, <laughs> letter F for focus. Um, I'm able to spend my mornings reading my Bible no interruptions. Uh, I, I can leave when I want. I can read when I want. I have the ability to kind of be fully present yeah. without having additional pressures that Paul would call distractions in terms of caring for my family. Yeah. And I think it's a good biblical thing to care for your family. So if you're yeah. married and you're listening to this, like yeah. care for your wife, care for your kids if you have them, right? Um, he calls it distraction, provide- but not sinful, right? It's not yeah, bad. That's right. It's just that's a right. distraction. 
That's right. And I, as a single person, just don't have to deal with that. Uh, I, I can read. I can I can do that. I, Flexibility. Yeah. I can read my Bible. I just have to wake up at like four or five in the morning, you know, <laughs> before yeah, everyone's right. awake. That's right. Uh, I don't uh, say that's everybody, but that's me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Flexibility in the sense that I'm able to change my plans quicker than a married person can. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, one of the good values, if you have a family and leading effectively, is stability. Mm-hmm. Right. Being able to lead in a way that you can clearly communicate, hey, this is where we're going. Right. Um, if a if a married man acts at like a single man in his marriage in the way that he thinks, in the way that he makes decisions, if he doesn't tell people, let me check with my wife. Yeah. Right, that's going to lead to a ton of conflict, yep. and for good reason. I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember in undergrad, I would go to bed sometimes, and I'll get a text at eleven thirty from another single guy at the church that would just that got off of work late, and he would just text me norms, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would yeah. get out of bed, put Let's my clothes on, go to norms, eat yeah. steak and eggs, and read the Bible with him. Yeah. I can say yes to that. Yeah. Right? Uh, and the third F would be freedom, uh, in the sense that I have less baggage to carry with me. Yeah. Uh, when I consider large life decisions. Mm-hmm. So when I decided to go to seminary, I moved five times in two years, right? Um, wow. And and the reason why I was able to do that was because I saw the advantages of the opportunities that were placed before me. And I knew that a married person probably wouldn't be able to do that because it exhausted me. I can't imagine how much more it would exhaust a spouse. Yeah, right? or if you had but kids too. Priv- mm-hmm. Yeah, but I have the privilege of being able to say yes to that, right? Whether it's going on the mission field, or, or devoting myself to the church and saying yes to other opportunities there or, or leveraging my, my uh, kind of shallow roots, so to yeah. speak, to be able to be more mobile, yeah. right? Uh, that's a freedom that I get as I calculate decisions. Yeah. Married people can make that decision. It's just going to be harder for them than it is for me. Yeah, that's possible. And, and I think it's either personality, gifting, capacity. It's possible to be married and to be flexible like that. Like, hey, someone yeah. could go to norms at 11 at night if your spouse is cool with that right yeah um, that's right but it's a team decision yeah, yeah. so it's 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 it, you're not saying that you know married people can't do things that singles can do um mm-hmm. but they do have a lot of other factors to consider prior to making those decisions that singles can make almost instantaneously right because they don't have to communicate with someone else or coordinate schedules or consider others concerns and feelings and other responsibilities yeah yeah no that's that's helpful brother let's take it to the local church um i've been blessed by your local church i know you've been blessed by your local church i bethany, love my local church bethany yeah. bellflower first southern whatever your name is yeah um yeah, that's right <laughs> you have been blessed and you so you've been there how many years now john um well, you first I, came. I, here. I first came to the church in 2015. 2015, yeah. Uh, and then, I left in 2018 and came back in 2020. Okay, yeah. so first exposure uh, that year. From even from then, how have married people specifically in the church? How have they blessed you? And so let's talk about just your dynamic, your relationship with married people at your church. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I love married people. I love that they're married. I I love that I get to see the the mystery of the gospel displayed in their unity, um, and, and even their labors for unity, right? Uh, so I love married couples at my church. I love babysitting their children. Uh, there are plenty of times where I I sit down with a couple. I tell them, "You need to give me a date, right? I'm background checked. I can bring someone else. Let me watch your kids so that you guys can go on dates." 
right? Like I, it's awesome. for me, it's a privilege. It's not a burden, right? Um, married people have blessed me in so many ways. Uh, they help me be more thoughtful as a pastor, right? And gaining perspective uh, in terms of what it looks like to sacrifice, like Christ loved the church and what it looks like to submit, right? Uh, uh, if you only submit when you agree with the decision that's being made, that's not real submission, uh, right? Uh, so seeing married couples in real time work through various different issues with their heart, right? And, and laboring together in order to find unity and and leadership and, and decision-making has been a huge blessing for me. Yeah. Uh, I think it's made me a better pastor. I think it's made me more patient. Uh, I think it's given me a perspective that I think that other single people that don't share life where married people kind of deprive themselves of that privilege and kind of opportunity. Yeah. So you're saying when they were letting you in and you were uh, witnessing them argue and quote unquote fight, you got to see them go through sinning against each other, but also reconciling. And just that, just by way of witness has encouraged yeah. you, right? That's right. Yeah. So are there other ways that uh, married people have blessed you? Oh man. I mean, uh, th they're able to cook good family meals in ways <laughs> that I can't. Uh, they're able to show kind of the, by example, I, especially for those with children, whether it's spiritual children, adopted, foster, biological, mm -hmm. right? Showing with their actions, the, the, the discipline of long-term discipleship and seeing the fruit of that. Um, also being able to see how trust develops with each other as the years go on, right? Uh, is a mutual supporting of one another. Um, that those things all serve as examples to me uh, of of ways that married people are displaying something unique uh, to what God's gifted them that I'm able to benefit from uh, from the outside. Yeah. So when you think about your experience with married people blessing the church, and you're talking to you know there 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 may be married people listening to this. How mm -hmm. can you encourage married people to bless singles? and to serve them. And then we'll broaden out, how can the church do that as well? So we'll go from married and then to the church. How can the married bless singles? Yeah, uh, you could bless singles by laying them into an honest picture of your life. Uh, it does singles no disservice. Uh, it does them a disservice when you actually deprive them of some of the difficulties of your family life. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I would say that it's the difference between letting a family member into your house I'm not talking about a distant relative. I'm talking about like a sister that lives close by, right? Uh, as opposed to letting a stranger into your house, right? Uh, when a stranger comes in, sometimes your house needs to be spick span, right? Everything needs to look like you're holding it all together. Good even testimony. Though you know there's, yeah. Even though you know there's one room upstairs that's locked for a reason. It has all the stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but in actuality, uh, I think that there's beauty, not just in the good parts of marriage, but the difficulties as well. And it helps singles to have a more accurate picture of marriage to see that. It also yeah. helps them see the depth, right, uh, of the gospel being displayed in the life of a family. So, wow. so I, I would say uh, by integrating singles into your life, um, I am the happy adoptive child of, I think, like five or six families in Los Angeles. That's and great. even more in other places I go to. And I love that. Yeah. I love that they care for me and bring me into their familial life. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Beauty and the difficulty. That's a good word, brother. Because no one, not a lot of people see beauty in the difficulties. They try to hide that and say like, oh, they're seeing where our weaknesses are and they're not, maybe we're not being a good um, testimony or example. Well, it's like, well, we all go through difficulty. We all sin against each other. That's actually part of your testimony on how you deal with those things. 
So yeah. broadly speaking, how can the church as a whole bless singles and care for singles in the church? Yeah, I'm actually working on an article trying to answer that question right now. Uh, uh, number one, I would say watch your tone. Uh, if if you say verbally singleness is a gift, but your tone doesn't add up with that, singles know that. Mm. Uh, right? They can sense and, it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure married married mar people, if they can think back to the time that they were single, probably felt the same way, uh, right? Uh, and so I would just say watch your tone. Right. If singleness really is a gift from the Bible, we want to make sure that we talk about singleness as though it actually is a gift. Right. Um, which means that our optimal goal, our end goal in our interactions with them isn't just to help them be a better spouse. If they if they desire marriage, you should absolutely push them towards that. But treating singleness and godliness in singleness as a goal to itself. Right. You want to see them flourish in Christ. Right. You want to see them love Jesus more. You want to see them love the church family and invest in them well. Right. Um, those should be priorities that we have for all our members, regardless of their singleness. Right. And also affirming them in the in the good use of it. Right. Um, affirming not just that that they're valuable and that you want to see them grow in Jesus, but also noticing. Right. And encouraging them in when they use their gift well. Right. Uh, and appreciating that and acknowledging that that is coming from the unique opportunities that singles have have received. That's good, brother. So as we've gone from the church serving singles, let's go now to the the singles serving in the church. Now you've talked about that unique capacity that they that singles have, and the opportunities that they have. So how should or how can we encourage um, anyone who's single to serve in the church? What ways should they be serving? Yeah, uh, if if I could approach it from a slightly interesting angle, uh, what what eunuchs are. Uh, are, are people that that were kind of involuntarily single for a variety of different reasons. But usually the way eunuchs were used uh, in, in kind of biblical times were used to have kind of special devotion and tasks and loyalty to the king. These right? are the literal, uh, you're talking about the literal eunuchs, right? This Yeah, I'm talking about literal eunuchs here. <laughs> so when Jesus talks in Matthew 19 about those who have made themselves eunuchs because of the kingdom of heaven, He's not just saying that singles can just be single and, and be selfishly single. He's actually talking about a singleness that's devoted to the Lord in a special way, right? Um, in other words, there's no such thing as a selfish singleness. Uh, uh, singles in the church, if you're, if you're a Christian who's a single in your church, you're called to a sacrificial leveraging of the gifts that God has given you in service of your spiritual family, right? Um your undivided attention to the Lord should most practically express itself in your undivided devotion and care for the church members that God has given you, right? In the church that you're in. So one of the things that I do uh, with the church members that are single at my church is I'll read through our church covenant with them, right? Uh, we, we read it once a month when we take the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning, even though we take Lord's Supper every week. Um, and, and I'll read it with them and I'll just ask them the question, what are ways that you can accomplish this covenant that a married person can't like, what are the tangible examples in your life that you know of where I'm like, I'm actually able to follow this part of the church covenant in this way. And I know that a married person can't do that. Mm -hmm. so, so you're almost I like expositing that, the church covenant with, is this like a small group sitting one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah. Like, I, I'm trying to use the church covenant as a soul mirror, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. Let's look at it and see what are things that I'm doing that I can only do because I'm single in light of these things, right? Uh, 
and and what I tell them is that if you can't answer that question, uh, that should concern you, right? Uh, that that should concern you. It's it's a privilege to be able to leverage your gifts. So so a lot of people get hung up on singles today. They look at the stats about singleness rising, and they get mm-hmm. really angsty about it. They're like, look at all these single people delaying adolescence, right? Uh, because of uh, anti-purity culture, because mm. they're prioritizing their careers or their hobbies or things like that. Um, and the solution is for them to get married. Uh, my response to that would be actually, if they're prioritizing the focus that they get, if they're valuing the flexibility that they get, they're valuing the freedom that they get, they're actually seeing the gift of singleness for what it is. They're just using it for themselves, right? Yeah. My solution isn't to get them married. My solution is to redirect those gifts that God has given singles, mm-hmm. right? Uh, outward focused, right? Yeah. In sacrifice to God, right? Uh, so there's no such thing as selfish singleness. You're either mm-hmm. going to be sacrificially married where you have a divided attention between God and your spouse, or you're going to have an undivided attention to the Lord. But in neither case for the Christian, are you called to have an undivided attention for yourself? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Neither marital status calls for a selfish expression of that status. That's a good word, brother. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's um no, that's a that's a good word on on single serving. We're gonna go now into something that could be kind of hot button. <laughs> And you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're about to leave now and go get something. Um, I I want to ask you about dating. This is this is a we could probably go on a while about this particular yeah, topic, yeah, and I don't even know why I included this. But this is something that not just you know married people have talked about, but singles talk about, and married and singles talk about, and so many different philosophies and approaches towards dating, courtship, you know, engagement, um, you know, how to look for a spouse, how to approach dating. So this is up to you, brother, on how you want to answer this. Uh, I'm not trying to force you into a dating profile, even though I would recommend my brother to anyone. (laughs) So you, how, how should singles, maybe we can just broaden it third person, right? How should singles in general approach dating? And do you have any wisdom and thoughts on good principles for dating? Because we talk, we talk to married couples, married people about this all the time. But I think it's great and helpful to hear uh, just from singles and how they approach yeah. dating. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how helpful it would be. Like if your goal is ultimately to get married and you're asking a single guy for, for, for advice <laughs> in the process, I don't... I don't know how much I can offer in terms of that goal. Yeah. Uh, what, what I would say as a pastor is um, the Bible doesn't say a ton about dating and for good reason. Uh, mm. we, if we start to think that betrothal somehow becomes a guide for the way that we pursue marriage, uh, I would just say the Bible doesn't prescribe betrothal either, right? Not only that, uh, I don't see anybody going to the girl's dad and buying her right without like a necessity of her consent like there's just so many things are different about that time Mm -hmm. Uh, so any book that kind of prescribes a hyper systematic like steps oriented this is the way you get married yeah probably gonna bristle at it not because of the principles that they're trying to protect but just the way that they're dogmatic about it Uh, Mm -hmm. so i i would say generally what you want to do is you want to maintain clarity you want to make sure that both sides are clear in terms of the intentions and where people are at, right? Uh, whenever there's a, a lack of clarity, I think that's what leads to confusion and hurt. 
number two, I would say uh, disappointment is fine. Uh, it's okay for someone to be disappointed uh, because something didn't work out. Right? Mm. Uh, so I don't think guys should be anxious about talking to girls because they're afraid of leading them on. You can absolutely be a Chad, right? And not not care for her well by not leading her well in a way that produces clarity. Yeah, that's not right? what you're talking uh, about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you shouldn't be afraid of disappointing somebody, right? If you decide that you're not interested in pursuing Or disappointing yourself, right? Yeah, that's right. You should be willing to be disappointed and be willing to disappoint others, right? Yeah, uh, that's number... hard. It, yeah, oh, sorry, you want to go do that, do, no, do go that one next before expanding? No, no, go for it. Keep okay. Going. Yeah. Cause the disappointing one is a big one. Cause I think that prevents people from either going into a relationship that could potentially lead into marriage or just saying like, Hey, I want to save myself from, from that hurt and that trouble, which I can understand, especially if someone has had a difficult history of dating and, and stuff like, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause that's, that's a pretty, at least um, that's a hard one to, to kind of go over in terms of like, you don't want to just throw people into a season of dis disappointment after disappointment. So like, how does someone yeah. navigate through that? Yeah. I mean, I would say on one end, like even if dating works, quote unquote, and you end up getting married, you'll still be disappointed because your spouse is going to disappoint you. Uh, Yet disappointment so, so, never goes away. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's so, so dating is a great opportunity to practice that. Uh, <laughs> there are going to be times where you put in your best effort yeah. and it still doesn't work out. Yeah. You know? uh, so that's one. Uh, I, I think an, another thing is just um, the goal is clarity. Mm -hmm. uh, to use Marshall Single uh, Siegel's language and not yet married, which is a book I that's my go to book that I recommend for people. The first half of the book is dedicated to glorifying God in your singleness. Okay. The second half of the book is uh, just providing principles, not not steps, but but helpful biblical ideas to keep in mind while you pursue marriage with someone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and pushing people to go to their local church. So that would be my go-to dating book. I would kind of recommend folks. Uh, Not Yet Married by Marshall Siegel. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think disappointment's common. It's fine to get disappointed. Um, what you want to pursue is clarity, right? So if, if you end up having clarity that this is not someone that you want to pursue for marriage for whatever reason, uh, don't waste their time or your time right at the same time if you've like told them things like you're the only one for me and i'm gonna marry you and yeah. i love you and all those things and then they're extra crushed mm -hmm. that is your fault right yeah. uh you should have been more careful with your language yeah right? uh, you should have been more responsible and stewarding and caring for that person yeah yeah there's a healthy way of going about dating without over committing and even just treating someone like they're your spouse when they're not which leads to that that's 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 the disappointment that you created yourself if you ended up going that way right but there's a way of a healthy way of doing it where you both understand both have clear expectations of each other you understand that you could break it off at any time you know and um and be content right with uh with what happens yeah. um so i cut you off any other principles for yeah, if, if I could zoom out and yeah. kind of say one broad thing, regardless okay. of the dating situation, is that we need to depressurize uh, co-ed friendships in the church, mm. right? Uh, we just need to depressurize that, right? Um, uh, where's Where's the verse? I'm I'm googling it. I'm a bad pastor. That's, I don't that, remember all these verses. By that's heart, fine. I do that right? too sometimes. <laughs> um, if I If I go First Timothy five, right? Um, where, where Paul encourages people, um, yeah, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, 
younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Uh, I think Paul meant what he wrote. The sisters in my church are not all potential spouses, nor are they, if you're married, all potential mistresses, right? Yeah. They're your family, right? Um, and so if we understand that correctly, it doesn't mean that you can't put up proper boundaries for 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 clear consciences or or other things. I'm not advocating for stupidity here, sure. right? But it's possible for a single guy like myself to have good relationships and friendships with other single women at my church without me intending to marry them, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes I think that uh, in, a, in a good desire to get people married, uh, they want to coax a fire into a flame by using a leaf blower, right? And I'm like, that's not the way you do it. Uh, and you end up blowing everyone away. <laughs> yeah, because what you want to do is you want to give single women. Uh, my my uh, my pastor I work with PJ uh, most recently made some comments at our last members meeting, and he unpacked this so well. Like he he did such a good job of articulating this, which is that single women need godly single guys in their life to show them what to expect and what to look for. Wow. Yeah. Right. And vice versa, not just yeah. married people. But guys in their singleness. Yeah, because they're the right? brothers that are a good picture of a good husband, even if they don't marry them. They're just a good. Yeah, that's right. Picture. You need that. And mm -hmm. then when you overpressurize things where you're like giggling when you see like a single person talking yeah. to another single like, person. Like, oh, what are they talking about? Oh, yeah. they're hitting what it What you off. do is you create an environment that actually discourages a really good thing. Yeah. Right? It actually distorts the family of God. Yeah. Right. Um, If I were to put it really strongly, right? Uh, I don't think that the image should be that if you're not interested in someone, you're talking with them, you're essentially, if you're treating a sister in Christ always as a potential love interest in the spiritual family, that actually distorts the picture, right? Yeah. I have a deep loving relationship with my sister, my biological mm -hmm. sister. Yeah. And if I add romantic intent in there, I am destroying yeah. the image, Yeah. right? Don't do that with the family of God, yeah. right? Give them the opportunity to let something blossom into romance if that's mm -hmm. what they want, mm -hmm. right? But don't expect that of them. Don't assume that of them. Don't don't tease them about that. Yeah. No, that's a good word, brother. As we're kind of drawing this to a close, what would be your encouragement to single people who are listening to this? Um, anything that you would want to say to them to give them encouragement? Yeah, let me, let me work... Um, chronologically backwards because i think i think the the tent of singleness is broader than we might initially think when we think about the subject so i want to say for for widows that are currently single in 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 your life god is not done with you hmm. right um i understand that that there's a huge vacancy i mean you lost half of yourself right uh, i think it's good to have the space to lament that loss right uh, i i pray and I hope, especially at Pillar, that the members and friendships and pastors that you have around you are able to fill you with a love that guards you from a deep-seated loneliness that I know that so many of you can go through, right? Um, so just know that we're here for you. We love you. And and I'm personally excited that with all the things that the Lord can afford you now in order to serve his body and to love his people, right? God's not done with you yet, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing I would say. Um, to unmarried people that have same-sex attraction, uh, God sees you. Uh, he sees you mortifying uh, your own desires, right? Because you know that God's word is true. And, 
And I guarantee you that when you're in glory and you see your savior face to face, you will know that every sacrifice that you made in this life was worth it. Right. Um, for the unmarried that don't desire marriage, um, I want to encourage you to keep going, right? Keep going all in on singleness, glorify God in your life. I look forward to seeing the way that God uses you in the same way that he used Richard Sibbs, right? Uh, in the same way that, that he used John Stott, in the same way that he used the Apostle Paul, right? Mm -hmm. uh, God has so many great things in store for you. And I want you to lean into that, right, uh, as, a, as a good thing for you. And for singles that do want to get married, the best thing that you can do for your spouse right now is to pursue godliness. Mm. Right? That's the best thing that you can do right now as a single person, right? If you want to learn how to serve your wife better, serve members of your church. If you want to learn how to be a good parent, care for the children at your church, right? Um, the things that you prioritize right now will reflect the priorities that you have going into marriage, right? Um, and so marriage is not guaranteed to you, but there are things that you could do right now to help you get to marriage. And the things that you do right now as a single person, regardless of whether or not the Lord gives you a spouse or not, are going to be used to glorify his name, bring you happiness in Christ, right? And encourage your church body. Nothing that you do right now is wasted, regardless of whether or not you have a ring on your hand. Mm, that's a good word. Nothing that you do right now is wasted. Amen, brother. What are some resources that helped you personally as a single person that you feel like could help others? Now, this could be broad. Let's take it in two parts, right? What are some books that helped you? And then what were some things that are non-books that helped you as a single person? Yeah, uh, I would say first and foremost, the number one thing that helped me with my singleness is my membership in my local church. Mm -hmm. uh, if you read my church covenant at our church, you can go BethanyBaptist.church, or I don't know what our URL would be if we change our name, right? <laughs> if, you go, if you go to that website and go to what we believe and you click on our church, con uh, our church, uh, church covenant, and you read some of the phrasing that's there, it's going to remind you of wedding vows. Mm. And the reason is because it is kind of like wedding vows in this, not in the sense that till death do us part, right? Uh, you could leave our church and join another church and we won't hate you for it. Right. Uh, but in the sense of the commitment that we're promising to have with each other. Right. Uh, so if you want to really grow in your singleness, lean into your local church, right? Uh, that, that's the first thing I would say, right? Lean into your local church, right? Uh, love the married couples, love the widows, love the unmarried, right? Leverage your undivided attention there. If you think about singleness only in light of yourself, then you've already lost. Mm. How do you expect not to be lonely if you're only thinking about yourself, right? It needs to be channeled outward. So you need a local church. If you're not a member of a church, you need to be a member of one. Okay. So that's number one. Uh, I'm working on a, uh, a book right now on singleness in the local church. Uh, we'll see if it gets published someday. Right. Uh, so you could be there. You go. Shameless plug right there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Buy the book that doesn't exist yet. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what kind yeah, of resource um, is that, man? They can't look at that. <laughs> that's right. Sam Sam Albury's written this book, Seven Myths About Singleness. Uh, he does such a good job of overviewing different parts of singleness and clarifying what the Bible says. Right. Um, uh, the seven myths are singleness is too hard. These are lies. Right. Singleness is too hard. Singleness requires a special calling. Singleness means no intimacy. Singleness means no family. 
Singleness hinders ministry. Singleness wastes your sexuality. And singleness is easy. So good. Mm. Really helpful. Uh, depth, live depth there. Really pastoral. If you want a book written by a, uh, a single person who desires to be married but is now in her 50s, Jenilyn uh, uh, Sweat wrote a 31-day devotional called Singleness. Great series. Uh, this series by, uh, by PNR is edit- edited by Deepak Reju. This book is so good. It is so good. Uh, it's 31 days of devotions and every page, like it's just two pages. So if you're not a reader and you're single and you're like, bro, like I, I don't want to read anything. This is the book to get. Mm-hmm. Pick it up. Just read like one page a day and you'll be so edified in thinking about your singleness. If you want to be a real big nerd and think about singleness from like an academic perspective, Barry Danilak wrote this book called Redeeming Singleness, where he shows the story arc of the Bible and how you go from Genesis 2, where it's not good for man to be alone, to 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul is literally saying it is good for you not to be married. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so he explains kind of the progression of the Bible getting there. Uh, one more recommendation for a book that doesn't exist. Uh, just to flag it, because I'm, I'm really excited for it to come out. Yeah. Um, uh, even though I have read it personally, there's a sister named Danny Trewick or Trewick. Uh, she is a uh, doctorate from Cambridge University um, in the UK. She's complementarian. She uh, and she's written her PhD on singleness and eschatology. Right. Uh, one of the things that Jesus talks about is how uh, in in the last days, none of us will give or be given to marriage. So we're mm-hmm. all going to be single in one sense, yeah. right? Uh, we're all going to be married to Christ in another sense. We're also going to be single in one sense, right? Uh, so she's written her PhD on that, and she's going to have a book coming out next next year. And I'm really looking forward to reading and learning from that. Yeah. That's great. Great. Thanks, brother. Thanks for doing this. Um, would you mind just saying a prayer for the singles, for the married, and just for our church in general um, at Pillar uh, for this really important discussion on singleness? Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this gift that you've given to churches. We pray, Lord, that you would help single members uh, at at Pillar to be able to utilize their gift wisely. Um whether they're unmarried and desiring marriage, whether they're unmarried and don't desire marriage, whether they're widows, whether they have same-sex attraction, pray, Lord, that you would help all of them to be able to leverage this good gift that you've given them for the service of your kingdom. Um, We love your church, Lord. We pray, God, that you would help Pillar to embody the things in their church covenant, to be united with one another, to, to seek to outdo one another in showing honor, to grow in unity and care for each other. We pray, Lord, that as as they do love each other, that they would be a display of your glory uh, in Long Beach and to the ends of the earth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks. We're going to have to do this again. Yeah. All right. Sweet.